Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the folks who help others create their businesses. And we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers as you market and grow. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. On iTunes, be sure to subscribe. Every five-star rating helps us help more business creators just like you. And when you subscribe, you will receive fresh content every single week. In addition to a library of over 200 episodes on a variety of topics pertinent to business creators today. So this is going to be a very exciting interview. So we're just going to dive right in. And what we're going to talk about are a number of things related to business and leadership. And to share with us today, I have a man that I'm very honored to introduce to you named Greg Centineo. And we're going to have Greg tell us about himself in just a moment here. I can tell you he's a frequent public speaker, um, including the University of Miami, and a highly sought-after consultant by large ventures, primarily advising C-level executives on leadership and fundraising that leads to company growth. Greg also leads live, excuse me, large live streaming events and teaches his leadership secrets at gregcentineo.com. I'm going to read you a quote from Greg that I think sums things up pretty nicely before we introduce him to you. And I think this sums up a lot about Greg. And here it goes. Energy. If I had to capture myself in one word, that would be it. No matter what business or project I'm helping, I bring revitalizing energy. Small business or huge production like Oz doesn't matter. I see things others don't see in themselves and draw that out. I pull potential where others see only failure. When what's needed is fresh energy and reframing of story, that's what I love to give. Do that, and the potential is limitless. Greg, welcome aboard. Come on in. The weather's fine. Adam, thank you, my man. Really, really great to be here with you today. Oh, this is going to be, this is going to rock. So what I'd like to do before we dive into uh, the curriculum today is I'd like to give our listeners who are just now learning about you the opportunity to find out more about Greg Centineo, the man. So I gave the basic synopsis of your bio, but I know there's quite a story uh, of your journey that's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about that so we can get a sense of what's brought you here? Yeah, thanks, Adam. Yeah, man, my, 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 my meandering trajectory, if you would, has gone back <laughs> several years now. <laughs> And um, I'm actually, I look back at it and I go, you know, that's a really interesting life, Greg, man. G- good stuff. Um, you know, I brought, born and raised in New York City, brought up in Brooklyn, um, uh, Italian Catholic background, if you would. Um, I, I know, I, you know, what made us a little notoriety, gave us a little notoriety was the fact that Howard Schultz was raised just a couple of miles away from us. And, <clears throat> and so we, we come from a good area, I say. Some good stuff has come out of Brooklyn. A lot of good stuff. But, um, you know, my, my path has led me, Adam, to several different industries. My, my curiosity, if you would, about the world that we live in, about life, about who we are, what can we do, what can't we do, etc., cetera, um, has led me down different pathways, man. And um, I became a minister 
back in the 90s um, as a pastor. I was curious about spirituality. I was curious. I wanted to help people. <clears throat> I was already in business. You know, we had a landscape in business when I was in my teens into my early 20s with my brothers and pretty successful uh, business in New York. And then just decided to go study theology, went from theology to becoming a minister, help people. It was, but it was always divergent, man, in what I was doing, Adam. Always my leadership style, very divergent and disruptive. So I got into the church back in the 90s, and I realized it was, in some cases, it was, it was a dying breed, if you would. You know, churches were emptying slowly rather than growing. And I just applied different concepts based on my beliefs and passions and, and my willingness to, to try new things and, and had a flourishing if you would, you know, church group, man, at that time, um, that, but that didn't last more than nine years because being divergent and being, being, um, um, disruptive in those environments usually gets you thrown out. So I, I have the, I have the beautiful past of letting you know that I got fired by God, not once, but twice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, um, uh, so, so got out of that and, uh, but, but had a few hundred people follow me out of that thing. And so I, I ended up, you know, I, I said, let me, let me kind of do this community, spiritual community thing, but at the same time, let me get back in business, started a, uh, um, my passions and love were for coffee at the time and Howard Schultz, what he was doing with Starbucks in the late nineties was extraordinary. And I decided to do my own thing and studied st coffee out in Seattle and then opened up my own place in downtown Fort Lauderdale and began to franchise that out. My goal was to kind of run, run neck to neck with Starbucks. The only thing I beat Starbucks to in those days was, was wireless internet. I was the first guy to actually bring in wireless internet into a coffee shop or restaurant concept. I was actually on the cover of M business in 2001 for doing that. And that was the only thing I beat them soon after they, they destroyed me uh, because they were opening more coffee shops in my radius than I could even, um, I can serve coffee on a daily basis. So, but that was a great ride that, that, sh that we ended up selling that. <clears throat> I went into banking after that. And what I like to always say, Adam, is that I looked at my history, I always stepped in at the bottom of an industry, walked in at the bottom and then left up, up, up top because of my, my desire and hunger to succeed. Got into banking, built a pretty substantial banking um, uh, business under the number one bank at the time, Washington Mutual, which um, they don't even exist anymore. They went back right. during the recession. But uh, that's a great story in and of itself. And then while there, I was kind of meandered my way into Hollywood. I was, I was um, you know, Approached several times by a CEO out of Los Angeles, who is an independent production company and had this amazing idea to do an animated film and wanted to do it at the same levels as Disney, DreamWorks and Pixar. And Adam, that's like showing up at the base camp of Mount Everest in shorts, sandals, a T-shirt and a bottle of Zephyr Hill waters and saying, I'm going to climb Mount Everest. So right. <laughs> with that, you know, after seven months of 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 talking to me, I decided to let's do this thing. And that's history. Now we, we made that a massive, you know, achievement for us to, to have succeeded at those levels. And, and that's been it. So, you know, obviously went into human animation next with Michael Jackson and pulse, but that's been my life, man. My passions are mountain biking, snowboarding, skiing, road biking, boxing, um, you know, extreme things that just kind of really inspire me and motivate me and push me to limits so I can do the same thing in my personal life and business life. So um, two, two great kids. I don't want to get too far into my per uh, great girlfriend. She's got four kids. So I have like six kids, <laughs> ex-wife and a girlfriend, and, uh, and things are going absolutely phenomenal for me. Wow. I mean, that, that's a great story. Um, and, you know, 
I know some of the work you're doing right now, uh, you work, uh, you know, you work at Priatech, which is described as a revolutionary gamification digital advertising company, leveraging data mining through fun arcade style touch blues, excuse me, arcade style touchscreen displays to engage consumers of their favorite retail brands. I love how that, uh, how that flows. Can you tell me just a little bit more about that? Yeah, that was actually consulted uh, that company out in St. Okay. Petersburg. That is a really excellent company, man. That's that's really doing some amazing things on the area of using gamification. They're really a gamification company. Twenty five years of expertise in gamification, but now applying that into the advertising uh, right. vertical and really becoming very disruptive in that. It's more about you know a pull in advertising than a push. And, um, and that's a, a nine-year startup. So they called me back uh, in January of this year and asked me to come in, kind of help them out a little bit, uh, structure them for their, for their ongoing growth and move them from a startup to, you know, to obviously revenue-producing companies. So I had a, the privilege of being a part of that for a few months. And, um, and that's, that's really just a great, a great thing that's going on there. And you're going, to see the, you're going to see gamification. You're going to see advertising. You're going to see these things change now over time. You're going to see the use of gaming. Uh, applied in ways where you can literally monetize it in, in so many different ancillaries moving forward. And that's just a company that's, that's doing it very wisely in the area of, of advertising. Right. You know, I, I know this is not exactly on target, or maybe it is. Maybe you'll surprise me and tell me it is. But, uh, you know, I never really got too much into video games except for one. And one of my quotes is, if loving Pac-Man is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> There's this, there's this hotel that I stay at when I go to Los Angeles that's called, I believe, the Custom Hotel. And for mm-hmm. years, for years, they don't have this anymore, but for several years, I would always book that hotel if I was anywhere within sight of LAX because on the fifth floor in their lounge, they had a free arcade game that had seven versions of Pac-Man on there. Wow. I would book an extra day in that hotel just to hang around that that machine because it was free and I could just keep playing all day or all night or whatever it is. So uh, I uh, I would love to know that we could go back because we're starting to see a lot of nostalgia for some of the old Atari games mm-hmm. and uh, go you know, even and uh, now Super Mario Brothers. I'm seeing it's making a big comeback. I mean, we're able to buy some of the old Nintendo sets again. They're bringing that old nostalgia look and feel back. Um, if there was a way to monetize those types of games, I'm sure there is. Oh man, absolutely. You know, yeah, those games, cause those games, like you said, have a nostalgic play to them for all of us, myself included, right? you mentioned avatar. How about, you know, a Commodore 64. <laughs> I know? had a Commodore Vic 20. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, so it, and it goes back to a time in our lives. Right. And, and so that's part of who we are. And so anything that, that has significance, I think always will come back in the future. And I know there's here in downtown Del Rey, there's, there's an actual um, arcade, but the arcade is very unique. It's all the old games. And so it's, you know, nothing newer than 20 years. And, and, and that place is packed all the time with adults. And, uh, and now obviously, you know, the younger generation getting accustomed to that and so forth. So there's an appreciation for those things in, in those times. You know, one of the things I think it's important is, you know, gaming always got criticized. You know, you, you heard it, you know, you always hear the, the older generations criticize. And I guess we're going to be the older generation now. So we'll start criticizing new things that happen as well. Right. You know, it's funny how that works, right? But it's, it's through these, these new innovations that we have advancements, you know, in society, you know, huge advancements. So for, 
for many years, right, we were criticized growing up playing Atari and our grandparents would say, I don't understand this. You know, when we were growing up, we were outside kicking cans on railroad tracks. Like, that's intelligent, Adam. Like, yeah, I know. Oh, oh okay. That's intelligent. You know, kicking because that's all you had. I don't even think you had radio yet. So, you know, and then they criticized the fact that, that we were playing Atari. But the truth, the truth is that what, that brought in, that affected the medical industry in such an astonishing way. Think about that, right? With microscopic surgery now, doctors today are using it's hand-eye coordination and they're looking at a screen as they're going inside you with a camera and performing, you know, exquisite surgery on us. So that's all because of the, the, the immersion of, of the gaming industry, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So it's funny, I tell, and I tell our generation a little bit older than us, I said, be careful what you criticize, you know, because it, it is the advancement of humanity, you know, and, so, and it's your lack of or ignorance or it's your lack of understanding or, or your lack of ability to accept change, you know, and like it's going to, every, everything is going to ruin the new, the new generation, all the new stuff, oh my gosh, the cell phones, you know, the iPads, right. ruining our generation. It's not ruining our generation, you know, it really isn't. It's just different. So it's new experiences, new advancements, et cetera. Well, two points uh, going along with that. Number one, uh, you know, my smartphone today, and I don't even have the newest smartphone. I have a, as of today, when we're doing this interview, I have a Samsung Galaxy Note 3, which was hot and exciting in 2014. See, funny thing about me is when I buy electronics, I buy state-of-the-art, whatever state-of-the-art at the time. And then Mm -hmm. it's like I, I have a dare to see how long I can keep it going before I have to replace it. So I mean my I mean my laptop is a 2013 Samsung laptop. That thing still runs like brand new running Windows 8 because I take such exquisitely good care of it. That's just the way I do things. So uh so that that's one of my points and the other is uh you know I, I you know we may look at these you know these smartphones that are allegedly turning people into drones or whatever you want to say about that but to each their own is what I say. Because when I was playing Atari and people thought I was ruining my mind and how am I ever going to get into a good college because I'm so worried about uh, playing a tank on my Atari 2600. I mean, I'd go hours and hours and hours and hours. I love that game. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and they say, but, but how, is, how is this going to help you in college? How is this going to help you in life? Well, as you pointed out, it sure has in ways that people don't think about on the surface. Like, Going into surgery today, that is what you've stated is a fact. In many surgical environments, the the surgeon is not himself looking directly into you. He's looking at a screen and manipulating tools using game gamification techniques, just like we learned when we were playing the Atari when we used our joystick to tell the cursor or the gun or the little thing what to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it's true, man. And it's, you know, and that's why I always say we, we should just really caution ourselves on what we criticize, you know, in life, because these are advancements right before our eyes. These are major, major advancements. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I, I love the idea of innovation and advancing, but let's get into a couple things right now. Uh, you know, you, um, you know, work with a lot of uh, businesses that are in the uh, process of transformation and the process of growth. Uh, so what are some of the problems you most commonly see in a business or project that has brought you in and asked for your help? Um, it's, it's, it's pretty much the same. It's the same across the board. It really is. Like, um, though I've been walked into 10 different industries over the past 25 years, it's the same, the same problems, you know, and, 
and it's the same solutions. And, but sometimes you, you know, you need a paradigm shift to, to, to kind of grab hold of those solutions. So some of the problems that I see is, you know, one, you have, you have a language barrier, you know, and it's not a, it's a communication problem. Even though everyone speaks English, there's a, there's a secondary language that, that everybody in the world speaks, Adam. And, uh, and that language has, has two different, two different nuances to them. And the language is can't or can. And so the secondary language, you choose yours today. Is it, is it the language of can be done or can't be done? So whatever your primary is, English, Spanish, Russian, that's great. But then you have that secondary language. And that secondary language is really more important than anything. It's, it's, your, it's your mindset. And it's the, the can or can't language. And so I find in companies, there is this turmoil. There's, um, you know, there's fragmentation because there is different mindsets that are competing to run a company and to lead a company to the next level. And it's the, some of the mindsets of can't. And I'm not talking about pessimists or optimists. I'm talking about literally a mindset, you know, because, you know, and I don't want to, a lot of times when I look at a project, people think, oh, Greg, you're an optimist and, you know, but you got to be a realist. I go, no, I'm an optimist and I'm a pessimist all at the same time. Uh, the difference is I'm not afraid to try to do it if, if there are problems. See, and a pessimist a lot of times or the mindset of this can't mindset that this can't be done is a mindset that it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what it is if they're not going to try anyway. So, so the, you want to be both. You know, you want to be a pessimist and you need to be an optimist, but that's not, that's not the issue. The issue is what is your mindset? Do you believe something can be done or can't be done? A lot of my projects that I looked at that now are major world platforms all started as an idea. And both of them, both of those major products, the Legends of Oz Dorothy's Return animated uh, franchise, I was told by every single human being in 2007, 2008 that I spoke to, uh, potentially doing this said don't do it you it's in it's impossible it'll never be done matter of fact you, how much money you guys need you know we at that point we needed 20 million eventually it was 122 million and at 20 million everyone says you'll never raise any money because of the recession now true right i'm not i wasn't an optimistic that wasn't that wasn't grounded in realism i was an optimist looking at this the, the idea saying the idea is great but at the same time looking at looking at the problems that we were facing, the obstacles, the challenges, and the recession was real. And it was true. Who's going to put money into anything, let alone a brand new concept for an independent production company? And it's a movie, quote unquote. So I understood that. But, and I looked at it as a pessimist would look at it. And I go, this is, this is going to be really difficult, man. But the idea is good. And can it be done? Yes. When everyone said, a lot of people said, it can't be done. And we did it. So who was right, who was wrong. It's not, a mal- it's not about who was right, who was wrong. We're both right. Those that said it can't were right because they didn't try, and so they didn't do it. Those that said it can were correct also because they tried. So the difference was the mindset to say, I will try to do it, that's, and that's it. So, um, and I think that's a really, really important lesson in life. And, that's, and so I walk into companies and we have to immediately look at leadership and find out the fragmentation of leadership in the area of mindset. And as I say to leaders, you, you have to surround yourself with people that have the same mindset that believe it can be done. And it doesn't mean you always try something. You, you, it goes through your test and you decide whether it's worth trying or not trying. So does that kind of make sense, Adam? Makes a lot of sense. And, uh, 
I, I never really thought of it quite that way, just in terms of that secondary language, a language of can and the language of can't. I really like that. And I found that, uh, you know, I'm more successful when I associate my, myself closer to people who speak the language of can. Um, I, you know, and in my relationships with clients, what I do sometimes is I deliberately adopt the opposite energy of what the client does just so that we find the right middle ground leaning towards the can side. So if I have a client that's willing to literally try anything or will sign off on anything, I'll be the one that kind of taps the brakes every once in a while to make sure it's grounded in a reality that's going to lead to success. And then on the other hand, if I uh, have a client that uh, is, or I'm working with somebody who's steeped in the language of can't, I'll be the can person. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it gets to the point where uh, I, I, somebody said this to me, and they meant it as a compliment. He said, they said, you know, I, I, you know, how, how is it that everything with you is possible? How do you, how do you go through life that way? Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I would, I'll tell you, Adam, don't ever give that up, bro. That's 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 the that's one of the keys to success um you know and first of all let's stop for a second because i think the most important and again it's all mindset it's how you perceive the world we live in um and i perceive it this way that anything is possible and if and that's okay whether if you don't believe that because then you've that's you have now limited yourself in your lifetime it's it's not it's not a right or a wrong anymore it's right if you choose to believe if you choose to believe that not everything is possible, if you choose to believe 75, 80 years ago that there's no way in the world we would ever go to the moon, right? And there was, there was dogmatic belief that there's no way we ever go to the moon. You, and you will not go. You have limited your existence on this planet. Those that choose to say anything is possible have now removed the ceiling. And now everything is possible and, and opportunity, opportunities are limitless. And, and so it is. And it doesn't mean you're going to succeed in the first 500 times, but right. that ability to try. Now, so I really, that's to me, that is, that's, and I just talked to a young entrepreneur the other day, 19 years old. These, these guys are amazing. It's one of them, one of my clients. They have two startups going on right now. And, um, and I obviously coach these guys and consult them. And they were going, they were interviewing somebody. And one of the principals, they called me up before the interview. They said, Greg, what? I said, look, man, what you, what you're looking for is, do they speak the language? You know, do they speak? And how do you interview? How, what are you looking to? I don't really care about their skill sets. I don't care about resumes. I don't want to look at that stuff. What I'm reading, when I'm sitting with a person to see and determine whether they're going to join my team to do what I'm trying to accomplish. I am looking to find out who are they? And more importantly, how do they think? And how do they perceive the world? Really important, right? So now we're going, Greg, that's philosophy. Yeah, it's philosophy. It's also psychology. And you know what? It's also spirituality. It's all those things. Why? How do, you don't leave those things outside. Business is not just business. Business is life. So I said to this guy, make sure that you, she speaks the language, the language of can. Or can't? Which one does she speak? And because you don't want to bring a, someone that speaks speaks the language of can't, and you speak the language of can, you're not. No one's going to understand each other. She's, you know, she's not living like that. She's going to live conservatively, and you're going to be trying to do something completely opposite. So even in your interviews, right, as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as thought leaders, you you have to the people you bring around you. That's you know that's the key to the success. That's the the key of execution. When I do my interviews. When I built those companies, you know, with a tremendous amount of great leadership, matter of fact, everyone on my team is a leader. We'll get into that another time. But 
but they all spoke the language. Some of them didn't have the skills that I needed coming into these projects. I didn't cap. You can teach them skills, right? But I can't teach them a language. I don't have that. That language is deep, man. That is, that is deep down in their soul, the can't or the can. I can't teach it. I don't have the time to teach that. So I hire a can, someone that speaks the language of can, who doesn't have skills before I'll ever hire somebody with amazing skills who speaks the language of can't because it ain't going anywhere. So, and by doing that, that's how I've built these amazing projects or achieved these, the major, the major successes of getting these projects to market when they, when they were improbable is because we, everybody on that team believed it can be done. Right, right, right. So uh, let's say that uh, we have a company. Let's, let's shift this towards the leadership side of things. And what are some of the problems you see with the approach of CEOs towards their organizations, their teams, and their business as a whole? I mean, that's, that's, that's a really broad question. So, I mean, it's a good question, but I mean, you're talking about now just a vast amount of CEOs, you know, specifically speaking, we'd have to look at somebody specifically because you're, you know, because you're a CEO, you you listen, honestly, I've met CEOs that speak the language of can't, (laughs) you know, and they wonder why they only draw. And by the way, a lot of times you're drawing the, the people to you that speak these languages. So then you, so you plateau in those situations. If your leader is a can't language speaker, then they've plateaued because they're not trying. And then the people around them, a guy like me went to, went to work with a CEO that that spoke the language of can't, are you, how can I ever, how can I ever go in there? Because it's about, it's about scaling it up, right? It's about building this. It's about, you know, broadening what we're doing. And, um, so it, it all depends on the CEO. It all depends. I think every CEO in this call, every leader, every thought leader needs to really come in and ask themselves those questions. Um, and again, I don't think it's a right and a wrong, to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's a preference. If you want to live in a world and limit yourself, then that's fine. I'm not going to get into that. If you want to live in a world where you want, you don't want, you believe there's, there should be no limits, then, then you're both right. So choose right. what you choose. And, but don't expect, here's a, you know, with the whole Einstein thing about insanity, you want a different result, but you keep doing the same thing. Don't expect to get different results. That's all. So if you're happy with your results and you're a can't language speaker, fine. You're great. You got what you want and, and that's awesome. But if you're looking to scale, but you don't want to change your mindset, it's not going to happen. Right. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of something here, and I don't know if this is relevant or not, but I want to I want to take a flyer at it. And I've told this story on the Business Creators Radio Show before. Uh, when I used to work for a company, let's go back 15 years, uh, my entire department um, had uh, sort of a luncheon, just sort of, uh, and it was given by, uh, it was sponsored by senior management. And the idea was just to recognize us for the work we do, because our department kind of had cross-function with every other department in the company. So, you know, the CEO stopped by for a few minutes. That's really nice. And you know, he says a few CEO-y type words like, you know, we really appreciate what you do here. Uh, gives a couple really quick examples of you know, how our work has benefited the company's bottom line. You know, we're integral to this. And then he goes off on this weird, to me, tangent where he says, and, you know, and, you know those of us in senior management know that sometimes you see us in the hall and uh, you nod to us or you wave, you say hi, and we just keep walking. Uh, that's, we, we just want you to know that, uh, just because we don't have time to acknowledge you doesn't mean we don't care. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, 
you had them in the palm of your hand. Mm-hmm. Those those few CEO like words you had said, uh, you know, there was mostly boilerplate stuff was perfectly fine. Uh, I mean, just the fact that you showed up and spent a few minutes with us was really all we needed. Why the hell did you have to say something like that? Yeah. I mean, when you hear a story like that, what does that indicate to you from your perspective? Well, it, 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 it's instant. It, it, for me, it sounds, it, it first thing hits my head is it's cold. Yeah. It's, it's institutional. It's, it has hierarchy. Um, and it, and it, and it, it's revealing of a person's, of a person's emotional or social intelligence, I should say. And, you know, I think it's about time and I think it's happening right now that we look at business holistically and that's, that's social, that's a lack of social intelligence from, from a leader who just said what he said. I mean, we we live in a world of connection. If you haven't heard, by the way, the, what what humans are looking for on, on number one, number one priority for a human being is connection period. Now, whether you believe it or not, I can back it up because I've, I've worked with thousands of people thousands of people and I can and I can tell you it even takes precedent over money and I can show you that they want connection you and then you create a company which you you just explained an organization where you you separate yourself you do the you do the the polar opposite the paradoxical to what human what what inspires people is connection to to be believed in right Right. Um, to be inspired. And who does that? Whose responsibility? It's all of us, but especially if you call yourself a leader, what is your responsibility as a leader? It is to inspire those that you're leading. First and foremost, it is to captivate who they are and what they are and believe in them so that person can believe in themselves. So as soon as you said that, it's ugly to me. It's institutional. It's cold, and it's, got, it's something I would never want to be a part of. Right. I mean, and I don't even think the guy realized. I, th- I think he thought he meant well that he was trying. I think he thought he was building bridges and was just really missing the mark there. I mean, I myself uh, and those who've listened to this show know that I'm, you know, I'm so highly introverted that, uh, you know, uh, you know I, I'm one of those people that will say, oh, man, I don't know, my – yeah. My my cat's really sick. I'm not sure if I can come to the play tonight. That sort of thing. But uh, but if I see somebody in the hallway, I can manage a nod, you know, a nod or a little you know a little point to him. Say it's like yo, because yeah. really, if somebody's saying hi to you, really they just want to be acknowledged as a person. They don't necessarily need you to stop and say, hey, how's everything going? How's 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 the kids? How's the how's the job doing? Or something like that. Sometimes it's just a matter of. Uh, making that connection as you're walking by. So yeah, you're the extremely busy CEO of the organization. You've, you're, you're juggling the hundred balls that guarantee everybody else's job. That's great. And you can't just give a little nod as you're walking by. So yeah. that person who, uh, who just reached out wanting to you know, catch your notice feels you notice them back. Yeah. What is you so know, hard about that? I couldn't agree with you. I could not agree with you more. And you know what? And then the excuse, what they hide behind is they're busy. They're doing a, they're not doing a million things. Everybody else is, you know, and if you're a CEO and you're doing a million things and something's wrong. Okay. And, and, and if you are doing a million things, let me tell you the first thing you need to be doing before you do the million things is you need to be inspiring your team. You need yeah. to be fist pumping your team. You know, my son is an actor in Hollywood. He's on, um, he's, he's been, he was on some Disney shows back a few years ago. Now he's on a show called the Fosters 
on uh, Freeform, and it's, it's that's pitch- why your name sounds familiar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, I got it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, Noah Centineo. So he's the, he's the yeah. big shot in Hollywood now. He's twenty one, but I got to tell you, from on every set that he's been on, from Disney to films to 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 Freeform, ABC, um, I, I'm astonished watching him. I, I I'll pull in to a parking lot with him. We get out. He's at the time he's seventeen, eighteen. He walks over, you know, shakes the hand of the the parking guy. The guy who's watching the vehicles and just gives him, you know, gives him the old shake. They rub shoulders and he walks away. I've watched him help lighting people on a major set, push up carts. Uh, everyone knows his name. He, he knows everybody. He, he's a kid and, he, and he's, he's lived this way and he's the actor. But what he does is he appreciates, understands you're an actor, but that doesn't make you better than anybody. It doesn't make you more important. As a matter of fact, it doesn't mean you can be, you can be, um, you know, distant from people. He, you can choose to, but he chooses to, to touch people, use that. And when I show up on sets and, you know, he's on a new set and I show up and they go, oh, you know his father. I go, yeah. And I hear the greatest things from cameramen, from sound people, lighting people, directors about him. And it's not the actor. He, and he's a great actor, really is. Right. But it's about who he is. Now, do you understand something? That inspires a team around you. And I, I've done that. He've, he's watched me do that with my teams. Um, it's, it's, it's how you really accomplish great things. And I can say this to the audience, man. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm divergent. When I say I'm a divergent leader, you know, and I'm disruptive, it's because I do the opposites of those things. You know, um, when I bring on a team member, right, it doesn't matter what level I'm bringing them on. I want to know everything about them. I want to know their family. I want to, I, I go and visit them. I meet their families. I go to barbecues to see their extended families. Um, I go to the kids' games before I even hire them. Why? Because I want to know who they are. I want to know who their community is. Do you know why, Adam? Simply for this one reason. When they come to work with me, I'm inheriting everything about them. And, and in my world, in my leadership, in my, in my structures, I don't tell people, leave your problems at home because you can say that, but no one's leaving them at home. They're just not talking about them. That's true. That is so true. <laughs> and so you, as a leader, take on the responsibility of a human being and everything about them. And so in my leadership, you know, I lead from behind, meaning I watch my people and engage my people, inspire my people. I have to engage when there's a problem at home. You, you, you've got to be your part. You can either say, we don't hear it. That's great. You won't hear it, but it's affecting their work. And so would you rather not hear it affecting their work and you don't know why it's affecting their work or you don't know if their work's even being affected. At least you know you can come in and inspire, step in and help. And that's, what, that's why I say it's not business, it's life. And, um, and that's a really important facet to me. And, and, and my teams, you know, they grow when working with within these environments because these are healthy environments man that really nurture the people and when you nurture somebody and you really believe in people and you really embrace them in good and bad times um what happens is they'll run through walls for you man you know my teams are always world-class teams they didn't start out like that but within two years they're world-class teams and then when we're humming and doing the amazing and the improbable and they're speaking to hundreds and hundreds of people on a weekly basis, then, and some really key people, then they, my, these people come back and try to hire my people. And my people won't budge. Why? <laughs> they won't budge because, they, because they're happy. They're doing, they're fulfilled. They're finding meaning. They're, they're loved. They're accepted. 
you know, for who they are, good and bad, right? Now, that's the heart of humanity. That's the psychology of humanity that you must bring into your business world to be successful. And, um, and so, again, I don't have to prove those things. How do you think I've, I've achieved these great things? It's, I, didn't do, I didn't do those things. The people that work with me did them. But I inspire people. I give them the environment so that they can vibrate at higher levels. And when you vibrate at higher levels, man, and you're functioning at those higher levels, Adam, guess what? You do some pretty amazing things. Yeah. And I've seen the converse as well when you uh, kind of, you, you see somebody vibrating, so you put your hand on them to steady them. And that's not really helping because what you're doing is you're taking the music out of them. And I've experienced it myself. I know others who have experienced it. And man, I, I tell you, uh, you, you, you can build somebody up and get them to vibrate for you and get them to be able to willing to walk through walls for you. But you can undo that in one sentence. Mm, absolutely. You got to be so careful with that because I know how it feels firsthand. I know how it feels secondhand from friends of mine as well, that you give your heart and soul to something and then some offhand comment, somebody lets you know that you're really just a number to them. Well, at that point, you start phoning it in. Yeah. You start, you start, you start doing the 9 to 4.30 with an hour and 10 minutes for lunch and, and two 25-minute, 15-minute smoke breaks. I mean, that's just, that's just how, how it works. And you start pulling out the job description saying, is this on here? <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Or you start – I mean, and, I, and I've seen – people who were vibrating and, and willing to walk through walls for leaders be very quickly put into the mailing it in mode just because of some comments or some minor thing that was blown out of proportion without uh, thinking about the fact that this is a whole human being in the organization, not just a number, not just a puzzle piece mm. that fits into the that fits into the grid or, or taking the, or taking the approach that a person's uh, position on an org chart is an indicator of their worth as a human being and whether or not uh, anything they say can be taken as truthful. If somebody at a different place on the org chart says something different, man, you should, so true, Adam. So true. I mean, you, you can't, you don't want to compartmentalize a human being's life. Once you do that, then it's called, it's compartmentalized. It's, it's fragmented. It's separated. And they, they go to work and they leave work and then they go live their life. Right. Instead of it being holistic, it's part of who they are. It's, it's part of who they are because they're doing what they love. Right. It's humans want to do, we as people want to do what we love. And so when you do something you love, it's not a job. My dad said it to me decades ago. I'm I'm 53 and I sometimes sound like I'm 84 when I'm talking like <laughs> I'm an old man. But decades ago, he said to me, "Greg, if you if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life." And and that's profound, man. And and it's true. And I've done that, so I've made decisions. Um, and before I, I made before I made money, I still made decisions to do what I loved. You know, I became a minister, a pastor. Why? Because I loved people, and I, I thought I was going to help them. And I thought the best way to help people was spiritually. So I still went out and studied theology in college, and and and, and but I loved it, right? And I was only making twenty two thousand dollars a year, but I was doing what I loved, and it wasn't a job. And I succeeded at that. And 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 then next thing I chose, you know, I did what I loved, and and you succeed at that. And then the people around you, if, you know, in our, in our environments, and I would say this, and this is what I really help companies, startups, existing companies, this is what I really help them do. You have to eliminate the clock and the calendar from your life. Now, let me explain. 
what that okay. means. In reality, you said it. No, nothing of, of real value happens from 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock during the day, Monday through Friday. It, good things happen, but nothing of true sure. value. Because you clocking in, you clock out. Well, and then you, you go do it again tomorrow, and then you're off for two days, and you come back. That's great. That's a job. You're gonna, you can go to Chick-fil-A. You're going to get the chicken. That's fine. You can clock. Nothing great's going to happen. When you want to, if you want to do something amazing, then the mindset, and the mindset's not just people thinking this. It's, they, it's when they love what they're doing. They love the environment that they're doing, it, they're doing it in, and they love the people they're doing it with. What happens is the clock disappears. And there's no more nine to five. It's it, whatever it takes, whenever it takes. There's no more Monday through Friday. It's, it, it's, 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 it's clear. It's the, the calendar. It's, there's not, we, don't know, we, we don't know the day. It doesn't matter what day it is. It's just it's the sun rose. It's, it's another opportunity to get up and achieve what we're trying to achieve, regardless of it's October 12th. I, and you ask me, I only know it's October because I see the Halloween stuff coming out. I don't know what, what the date is today. I never know the date. I don't care what yeah. the date is. It doesn't matter to me. I don't really care what time it is. That's why I have, I have assistants and directors that, that make sure I'm coming on because it doesn't, I don't work by time. Now, again, I function in a world with time. I understand that. That's not what I'm talking about. It's that I, if it's 8 o'clock, I'm talking about what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter. I don't say, oh, I'm off. I'm off. What do you mean I'm off? You're off. <laughs> yeah, right. No, you're off. You know, you know, we talk about the Yankees. We got a big game tonight. Yankees hopefully will win game five. I, you know, uh, this morning I'm having coffee out in Starbucks. You know, the friend says to me, you want to talk Yankees? I can't talk about the Yankees. The game's at eight. We'll talk about it tonight. At eight. No, of course, <laughs> of course we're talking about the Yankees. I love the Yankees, you know? So right. and you're not off from what you, but the problem is when you go to work, it's work and you don't care about what you're doing for miscellaneous reasons. And, and we as leaders, companies, I help companies really build environments um, that are, that are um, conducive to, to create the right climates, the right, the right fertilizers, the right elements, so, you, so people can come in and feel those things and do extraordinary things for the company, scale it up. Make sense? Oh, that makes a lot. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about that. So, like, you're a Yankees fan, right? And uh, and it's like, oh, well, I can't talk about the Yankees right now because the game's later on. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> right. right. I'm not. I'm not much into sports, but you could. Uh, but you could. Uh, you know, for me, it's more. Uh, you know, talking about history. I'm really a history buff. And uh, somebody wants to, you know, to uh, have a conversation with me about. Uh, I mean, let's let's see. What's sitting on my desk right now? Okay, I have this book about the the russian revolution somebody wants to come up and uh sees i have this book about the russian revolution now wants to ask me some questions about it yeah let's let's go because that that's something that intrigues me that's something that fascinates me you know man we used to when we were in uh i was in college back we were studying cornea greek which is the the language of the new testament and we had you know you want to put a bullet in your head you know you're doing that (laughs) And so I'd sit in class, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, here we go. And the, the professor was Dr. Potts. And so I remember, I knew what he loved. He was a historian. And so I would, he, if he got in some in the Greek and was talking about the word, and he mentioned, I would always raise my, I said, Dr. Potts, let me ask you a question. The history of that, what, and I'd get him on a tangent. And he'd tell stories that had nothing to do with Greek anymore. And I would love it because now I just got, I got out of it. And, um, and so, yeah, he didn't stop and say, this is a Greek class. He loved, and I knew what he loved, so I would just go ahead and probe it, just tap it, and get him going. And it didn't matter if it was Greek class. He went on a complete tangent out of the way talking about what he loved. It didn't matter. 
the time of day or what he was teaching. We only had 50 minutes in Greek. Yeah. You know, another example, one of the professors that I loved when I was uh, an undergrad at Penn State in my political science curriculum, uh, Dr. Harkavy. And, uh, and I remember old Dr. Harkavy, and he was a, he was a, a staff person. I can't remember his exact title, but it was actually fairly prestigious. And the Carter administration, that's, you know, that's where he made a lot of his bones. Yeah. And, uh, and the joke was that basically if you've taken one of his classes, you've taken them all, so you might as well take them all because it's an easy A. And, uh, I mean, he would uh, assign a textbook because the powers that be said you have to assign a textbook. And he would do a syllabus uh, because they said you have to do a syllabus. But on the first day of class, he's like, guys, do you really feel like doing a term paper? No? All right, let's bag it. So we'll have a midterm, we'll have a final. And uh, his entire instruction was he would just tell stories about working for the Carter administration. Mm. But you learned more about political science from his stories of actually being in there, in the arena, than you would have from any textbook. So in that sense, he was a brilliant professor. I still remember a lot of those stories, but uh, ask me what was in uh, chapter 13 for the assigned reading for the pop quiz of uh, PolySci 421. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, homie, I love that, man. That's great. That is great. It's true, though. It's it's true. We learn through story, man, you know, and most of us do. And stories um, is the key to what we do and and how we convey and how people really capture what it is that, that we, you know, we're trying to achieve. Right, right. Now, you've uh, told me in our, in our separate conversation about the idea of rewriting or reframing a story. So can you tell us a little bit more about what that means? Well, so, yeah, you know, and I, I, I break this down because so if you look at some of the projects, and if you go to my website, you can read up on some of these projects, but Legends of Oz, Dorothy's Return was the animated feature, et cetera, yeah. um, that we did um, and um, a lot of people, you know, they see the outcome of these things. You know, how do we, how do we get my, how do we start a company after that with John Texta, you know, to, to do digital human animation like, um, like Michael Jackson. And how, how did it start? We started that in John's backyard, you know, with no money himself and a dog. And next thing you know, when the, when the stage of the Billboard Awards, and we got 98 billion mentions of the company the next day on the internet or over the weeks to come on the internet. How does that, how does that happen? Well, how do you get people, how do you get large groups of people to follow you? How do you get people to, to, to want to do something? It's story framing and reframing of story. And, and I spend hours working with leaders and teaching them, um, you know, why things aren't working for them in their companies, why they're not raising money, great ideas, but can't raise money. Um, And the reasons for that is they, they don't know how to storytell. They don't know how, to to package what it is why it is they're doing what they're doing and and what moves people to engage i would say so so story is this this three things and if you're taking notes at home that's great right you can want to write these down write them down there's basically three things that have to happen in life for it to work three things and um and i'm not going to go to the grave saying these are the only three things today this is what i believe the three these are three things i found um one nobody gives a crap about your dreams. Nobody, but you. I mean, I tell my kids that Noah Taylor, nobody cares about your dreams. I don't even care about them. I'm your father. Why? I got my own dreams, right? So, so you, if it's going to happen, you got to will it into existence yourself. Number two, um, if 
if nobody cares about your dreams, nobody cares what you want to do, then certainly no one's going to give you any money to do what you want to do. Problem number two. Number three, if you're going to do anything in this world, you, can't, you can do it alone if you want. And I always say, you know, you can do really good things by yourself, but you want to do anything of magnitude, you can't do it alone. So if nobody cares about your dreams and nobody's giving you money because they don't care about your dreams, then who, who in the world is going to work with you and, and, and invest their life into your dream, right? So, so you have to be able to convert people to believe in your dream. Uh, their dreams, your dream's got to become their dream. And how does that happen? It comes through story. It comes through explaining what it is that you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing, what you foresee happening because you're doing. And what ends up happening is, and this is, this is I will tell you this, man, and from my experience, and again, we, I raised in one project $122 million from 2009 to 2013 during the greatest global recession that anyone could remember, um, where nobody, no one was giving money to anything at that point. And, um, and so how did we do it? Well, and, and, and the project that we were working on, I mean, it had everything going on against it. It was a small independent production company trying to do animation at a Pixar level. Doesn't happen. Never happened in the history of Hollywood. Um, you're talking about, you know, large sums of money for that high risk project, tremendous risk to it, you know, who would do it. Um, how did we, how did, how did we encounter almost, almost 2000 people vested in that project during the worst economic, you know, times in history. And, and the reality was for the first three to four years, they were clearly told and that this, this is, is great idea. And we could pierce the veil of animation, which is a trillion dollar industry as people and own it just like Disney would own something, but it's improbable. So if you get involved in this, you're probably going to lose everything that you put into it at that point for the first four years. And why did people, knowing that, why did they invest? I'm going to tell you why. It wasn't for the money, right? We think people invest because of the money. So you as a CEO or a leader, you're raising money and you just you show them the numbers. We're going to, this is great. We're going to make a billion dollars and you're going to make this. And, but but then, then they don't invest. Why, right? Because it's not the money that really matters. And I proved it. It's not the money. It's, it's that, number one, people have a dream, and most of them never, ever even try to make that dream a reality. And so they're looking to be part of something bigger than themselves. People want to be part of something that brings meaning to their life. And what we were doing was such a grand idea, sequel to The Wizard of Oz, I mean, first time in animation history that an independent would, 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 would do this, get into this. All the can't-dos, the can't-dos, the improbabilities, but the vision, the dream, I communicated it very clearly of what we were trying to do, and I communicated very clearly the incredible risk that it was, you're losing everything at this point, just so you know. That's how you have to go into this. And why did they do it anyway, right? It wasn't the money. It was because it was something that brought meaning to their lives, it was something that they could be part of, connect to, that was bigger than them. Um, and, and, and that's how you do things. And so story was so important of me explaining to people. If somebody came over and said, hey, I heard about this. I'm ready to do it. I don't even need to hear anything. I, I want to write a check. I, I wouldn't take money. Why? You have to go through the story with me. 
man, I don't need to hear the story. I'm, I'm a, no, 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 you don't. I know you think you understand. Again, I'm not looking for ignorant people to get involved with what I'm doing. And that's an important piece, Adam. I don't want people just to do it because for the sake of doing it. So I have processes. Where they, where they have to be educated before they get involved with what I'm doing. The people that work with me are educated before they come into educated on what it is that I'm doing. And they're continually educated on what we're doing all the time. Why? Because that's what drives the machine, right? Story. Yes. And I can tell you, that's the, the first problem I told you about companies when I walk in. It's, it's the language barrier, the, the can and the can't. The second one is most of the leaders, and this is not a, this is not a derogatory, it's just don't even know their own story to tell it. And what's compelling is not money, guys. I swear it's not. We think it's, you know, money makes the world go round. Money is really, really, really important, man. But at the heart of it, man, when you really dig past the human's, you know, skin, they want to be part of something, man. And story is what absolutely communicates the whys of what you're doing. It's what compels people to engage in it. You know, I used to tell the story, man, to my, one of the things I would say to investors, man, you know, um, how did you do it? How did you do it? How did you move a mountain into an ocean? And I use Jesus's old, you know, saying, I never, you know, when I study theology, I read, I read Jesus's story when he said, you know, if you have this much belief and in this, between his two fingers, he held up a mustard seed, Adam. And that's a, it's like the size of a sesame seed, really small. Yeah. He, up, he holds up this little mustard seed to a crowd of people. And he says, if you have this much belief, this much belief, he says, you can actually command a mountain to move into an ocean and it'll do it. And, you know, for years, I think I've heard that talked about and communicated and even myself, I thought, what is he talking about? You right. know, and I, you know, was he, oh, prayer, it must be prayer, right? If you believe it's going to get up and grow legs and move into the, ocean. mountains don't grow legs and move into oceans, you know? But he said, if you believe it'll, it'll, it'll obey you. That's key word. It'll, it'll, it'll obey you. It'll follow you. And I thought, what does he mean? And finally, about, about 20 years ago, I figured it out. I thought, I at least figured out it works for me, is if you really believe, right, your story, this is your story. What's your story? My story is I believe that mountain needs to move in that ocean. So uh, what did I do? I got a wheelbarrow, Adam. I got a shovel. And I started shoveling the mountain into the wheelbarrow, and I started carting it down and dumping it into the, into the ocean. And as you're doing that, what happens? People come over and you say, what are you doing? Oh, I'm moving the mountain to the ocean. What are, you, that's, what are you doing? Let me tell you what I'm doing. Tell them what you're doing. And then they would say to me, you're moving around the ocean yet. Yeah. No, they ask, ask next. Why? Now, I get into the why. I would be crazy enough to get a wheelbarrow and a shovel and start moving it. And so some people, when they hear that why, it's the framing of that story, the why. Some of them go, hey, good luck. You're out of your mind. And they walk away. And some people go, wow, that's compelling, man. I... I, I, I love that. I, I, I can believe in that. And you know what they do, Adam? They get a wheelbarrow and they get a shovel and they start helping me move that mountain into the ocean. And that's how you move mountains into the oceans. And so wow. the third part of what I was just talking about was no one cares about your dream. You got to get them to care about your dream. And when their dream becomes, when your dream becomes their dream, you move mountains into oceans. It takes people. That's why I say you can do good things by yourself, but you'll never do anything of magnitude alone. And the key to that is how do you get people who are indifferent to what you're doing, who don't care about your dream, to care about your dream, to give you money for your dream, and to engage their energy into your dream to make it a reality? That's how you do it. 
Wow. And you know what? We are actually near the top of the hour. Time has really flown here. We have about three minutes left. And I think this is a great place to wrap up because uh, you have just given us some incredible information on how to inspire others to believe in what we do. As you said, you know, you know, I don't care about other people's dreams to the extent that I'm going to just invest my money in them. I may say, that's great. You have a dream and wow, this, you know, I feel inspired by this on an emotional level to a certain degree, but that's not going to motivate me to stand up and say, yeah, let's throw a hundred thousand dollars at it. Right. But following the process that you just outlined, moving the mountain into the ocean is the key to getting others to believe in your vision enough to invest themselves in it to move you forward. So for those of our listeners who I know are sitting on the edge of their seat, wanting more of this, uh, how do you serve business creators currently and how can people get started with that? Well, I love doing what I do. That's why I'm doing it. And so which if you're interested, I, you know, I can help you in certain ways. I have a great team as well. You can go to my website. First thing I always say, go to the website, gregcentineo.com. It's spelled C-E-N-T-I-N-E-O, gregcentineo.com. And, or reach out to um, my, um, my director of inspirational development, uh, Julie Natale, uh, at julie at gregcentineo.com, C-E-N-T-I-N-E-O. And, you know, you can engage us in conversation. It's great. And, um, I have, I have things that we're building now, Adam, just like the, the things I'm talking about here, we're putting together not only one-on-ones but, and, and group coaching that we can help. I want to help the masses now. Do, I want, from what I did with small comp- small, taking small companies to conglomerates, what I did for CEOs and, and entrepreneurs, you know, one-on-one, I want to do it for the masses. And so we're breaking down my content um, to really help get it out there to people just like this call uh, where we can inspire leaders you know we like work love working with leaders that can that can yeah. really impact their own worlds and and see these things come to fruition so so that's how you get it. that's how you can get a hold of us right now um at the time would be more than happy to um to engage with you guys well greg centineo i want to thank you so much for being with us today here on the business creators radio show it has been an honor and believe me in education uh man homie this, this was excellent, and you're a, you are a great host, and you've got a great show, and thank you. Thank you so much for even having me on your show. Awesome, awesome. Uh, much appreciated. So for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.